have enjoyed all the singing and uh, just getting to see everyone today. What a blessing it is. And me and Mary's been sitting there counting down the time to come, and it's so strange not come, <laughs> coming for Sunday school this morning. And uh, it just felt funny, but uh, it is good to be here today. And uh, I've got a message the Lord has been dealing with me on, and we're going to be taking our text out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at uh, first, we're going to look at the first three verses, and then we will cover the rest of the chapter as uh, as we go through this message. But Matthew chapter 2, when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Here the Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying now that you bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Back in 1963, I wasn't born yet. I wouldn't be born for three more years. But back in 1963, singer Andy Williams, he had his very first Christmas album. Now, the name of the album was White Christmas, but that's not the song that was known from that album. Uh, nobody ever knew that the best-selling single off that album would be a song titled, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. I'm sure if you've been listening to any kind of radio this month, you've heard that song played. I know it's come, it comes over Pandora all the time. And uh, we listen to uh, off Amazon Prime Music, and it, they play it about every uh, rotation. Uh, but the American composers, uh, authors and publishers, it's called ASCAP. They keep, uh, they keep ranks of all these, these songs. And they say this is the seventh most, most listened to Christmas song in history. And it stayed in the top 10 of Christmas songs for the past 33 years. Uh, that, that's pretty remarkable for a song that's already 50, what is it? Uh, it's over 50 years old by now. But what makes the song so appealing to people are the actual lyrics. They speak of good times, of being together with family and friends. And what a great Christmas season. You know, the verses go, it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the happiest season of all. Well, I'm glad that we can enjoy good music like that, secular music. It's not really a Christian song, but uh, it is still a good Christmas song. But to be completely honest, if we think about those words of that song, it kind of is contradictory to the way things are now. Uh, maybe back in 1963, it might have been a little bit different, but nowadays, I believe they need to rewrite the song and call it the most stressful time of the year. Uh, if you're like most Americans, you spend a lot of time and a lot of money in stressing over Christmas. Uh, I know my wife starts buying Christmas presents the day after Christmas, probably before Christmas, but for the next year. Uh, but she buys Christmas presents all year long, and by the time December gets here, well, she's done. And uh, we're trying to find places to hide them all over the house. Well, back in the 70s, and I was looking at old photographs this, this past week, and I posted a couple there on social media 
of my family back in the 70s. That's what I remember the most back in like uh, 70, 71, 72, 73 in those years. Now, my family was dirt poor. I didn't know that when I was growing up. Uh, we lived in a cinder block garage that had been converted into a house. There was no indoor plumbing, so we didn't have a bathroom. We had an, an outdoor toilet. And I grew up that way for the first 10 years of my life. Uh, we had uh, old concrete floors that they threw a rug over the top of. It was freezing cold in the place. The roof leaked. Uh, when it rained, we would have to put pots and pans underneath the, uh, the leaks to catch the water. Uh, but I didn't really realize at that time that we were so bad off. Now, my dad wasn't teaching yet. He had not uh, finished college, and he, was, he would become a school teacher. They didn't make much money, but uh, even before then, he worked at Standard Knit Mill. And my mother started taking on a, a work at uh, Levi's, uh, working second shift to make a little bit of money, but uh, we didn't have much. In fact, we didn't know from day to day what, if we was going to have food on the table. But, uh, you know, when you're just a child, you don't understand the sacrifices that your parents make for you. And so I was looking at those old photographs, and there I'm sitting with a Fisher-Price airport, and my sister has an electric Snoopy toothbrush, and my, my smallest sister had a, a, one of those hobby horses on the springs that you get on in your ride. And I was just amazed thinking about that. I know those had to be expensive back in those days. And, uh, you know, we were like everybody else. You got the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and you sat and you dreamed about all the things in it. We'd look at the toys and the service merchandise back then. We'd look at all those things and dream about having them. You know, we'd ask Mom and Dad, or we'd make a list, you know, to Santa Claus. We want to get this and that, never thinking we'd really get it. But I was looking at those pictures and seeing those things we had there and could still see that old center block house that we, we grew up in knowing how bad it was. And uh, I was so thankful that, that my parents shielded me from, from knowing those things, that, that we didn't have any money, and that when the door shut behind them, that they probably worried and, and cried over the finances and the family. And uh, I never knew it. I was blessed. You know, every, all I knew was on Christmas morning, we got up and, and we had gifts under the tree. And uh, what a, a blessing that was. But, you know, as the years stretch on, Christmas, Christmas isn't quite as wonderful as it was when I was six or seven years old and getting up to see what Santa Claus had brought us. And uh, it becomes stressful. There in our opening text, we read about the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the very reason that we celebrate this holiday, which is Holy Day. We were, drove in behind a, a, a cat bus coming in. And it said, Happy Holidays under it. And I said, Here we are, Happy Holy Days, following this bus. And uh, that's what that word means, by the way, if you didn't know that. Holiday is a holy day. And so I want you to consider something you may not have thought about on this very first Christmas here. Or it could have actually been the second Christmas, and you'll understand why I say that as we go. But the first Christmas for Mary and Joseph and Jesus was not the most wonderful time of the year. Pat Boone didn't have a clue of what, what they were going through. Look at it again, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. All right, so what I want you to realize here, the Bible says this was in the days of Herod the king. Herod the king. 
Uh, just reading that name ought to cause everybody to stress out. I know it would have back in that day. He was the original Grinch that stole Christmas. Friends, you wouldn't touch him with a 39 and a half foot pole. Uh, that's the kind of guy he was. And if you know anything about Herod, you know he was given this position of king of the Jews. That was the title he used. Uh, king of the Jews, the Romans actually bestowed that title upon him. It was not a rightfully given title by, by the Israel. Uh, Caesar Augustus, whose actual name was Octavian, was the Roman emperor at the time. And he had taken over after Julius Caesar's death. And Herod held this position uh, that he had of king of the Jews for 37 years. 37 years of living under a tyrant. And friends, he was. Uh, he was actually an, an Edomite. And uh, the Romans during that time, he would, he'd been called an Idumean. Uh, because he was from the tribe of Esau. They were actually enemies of the Jews. Now, even though some of Herod's uh, relatives and ancestors had converted to Judaism, and, and he was raised as a Jew, there was still the hatred of the Jews down in his black heart. Now, Herod was also known as Herod the Great. You've probably heard him referred to as that. It's not because he was a great guy. In fact, he was a horrible guy. Uh, but... He ruled as a tyrant both politically and socially. At times, he actually seemed mentally unstable. Um, he was married to ten different women during his lifetime. His third wife, Miriam, he killed along with their two sons, her brother, her grandfather, and her mother. Uh, this is not a good guy that we're talking about. Uh, not to mention down in verse 16 of our text, he orders all the male children from two years and under to be murdered in the land of Judah. That's what kind of guy we're dealing with. So just the very fact that King Herod was on the throne during the birth of Jesus makes this the most stressful time of the year. Now that's why it says in verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. But not only was he was troubled, look at it, and all Jerusalem with him. You know why Jerusalem was troubled? Because the king was troubled. And they know any time Herod is troubled, they're all in for it. It's not going to be a pleasant time there in Judea. And so uh, somebody was claiming his title, king of the Jews. And so he's got to get to the bottom of it. Verse 3 said, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, don't let that little word demanded slip past you. This was not just a simple request. It wasn't a pleasant thing like, would you please find out about this for me? No, he demanded this. And when Herod demanded something of someone, it meant life or death. If you didn't do what he said, Friends, your head's going to roll. Uh, so this was very stressful. Um, somebody is, is taking his title, King of the Jews. Look at verse 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. How would you have liked to have been li uh, working for King Herod in that day? <laughs> uh, these guys know that, th that things are about to get really, really bad. And so they immediately turn to the scriptures for support. Uh, they're not going to take it upon themselves to say, you know, well, you know, 
we found out this or that. No, they say, well, this is what Scripture says about this one that's going to be born. And so they're, of course, quoting from Micah 5 and 2. And uh, that's what the Old Testament prophet said. He'd be, born, he'd be born in Bethlehem. So they know where they're going to go look. Now, they said they saw the star from the east. So, uh, you know, a lot of times we think about the eastern star, but actually they were in the east and saw it from there. And so uh, either way you look at it, it doesn't matter. But um, they know where the birth of this one is going to be. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, we can read that in a couple of different ways. That last verse uh, uh, where he says, you know, bring me word again, I may come and worship him also. You can look at it as he was trying to pull one over their eyes, you know, to trick them into telling him where this one was born so that he could, quote, (laughs) worship him. Or when I read it, this is the way that I seem saying it. Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And so I believe he's got this mentality behind him that it's it's evil, it's creepy. It, it's it's he's trying to to do away with this child and still make it look like he's just simply going to worship him. These guys they know better. They know that he is, he's not serious about this. And so that word diligently, it's used twice there in verse 7 and verse 8. And that word means accurately, exactly, and perfectly. So there's no messing around when it comes to King Herod. He wants this job done, and he wants it done right. So the plot has been hatched. Herod comes up with this evil plan to track down this one, calling himself the king of the Jews under the guise that he also wants to come and worship him. And I'm sure they walked out of that room going, yeah, right. Look at verse 9. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, right away, you're probably in your mind thinking about all the Christmas stories that you've heard. Now, I preached on it last time about the misconceptions of the Christmas conception and all the beliefs that people have about Christmas time that are not in the Bible, that's just been made up. Most of them's through Hollywood or cartoons or books or something. Uh, be very careful as you're reading this not to get into your mind some cartoon. Uh, and think about three kings of Orient are bearing gifts who've traveled so far. It's not in the Bible. Uh, notice here, we find the traditional view of three wise men showing up in the manger in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born and gave him gifts. None of that is actual and factual. That's not in the Bible. There's not three mentioned. There might have been 12. There might have been two. There might have been, I don't know, half a dozen. Who knows? The truth is, nowhere in the Bible do you find there were three wise men. Now, there were three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so thus... 
people have just assumed there were three wise men that came and each one had his own gift and laid down there. We all think about it. The truth is we don't know how many came. Now, tradition holds there were 12 that came because 12, of course, represents a perfect number in the Bible. It's, it's a number God uses over and over and over for completeness is what the, word, the number 12 is. Uh, and I know that's going to ruin some people's Christmas play next year to, to think about it. But notice that the Bible says when they were come into where? The house. It didn't say when they came into the manger. And so when we think about these wise men that came uh, looking for that star, we always assume they showed up right after the birth. And that he's laying in a manger of straw and they come and they bow down and give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's angels up over the stable. Oh, you know, we think about all that stuff. We see the cattle are lowering, the poor baby sleeps, uh, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Uh, not in the Bible. And so when they come to him, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are staying in a house. Also, we don't know the time period that's passed since his birth. They've been watching the star for some time. These men are traveling by either foot or camel or something uh, like that. They're probably walking. They've traveled very far and very long way. First, they had to stop off there, speak to the king, and they're traveling to Bethlehem. So this is a lot of time that's took place. It could have actually been two years since the birth of Jesus. And they've been staying in Bethlehem that whole time. And there's a reason for it, and we're going to see it in our text. And so we're not given the details of why they're in the house or whose house it was or anything like that, but inquiring minds want to know. Uh, one possibility is that uh, due to Mary's sensitive nature of having a child out of wedlock, that perhaps things were heated back home in Nazareth and they didn't want to return there and uh, be in the mess of all that. And so they stayed in the house in Bethlehem till all of it blew over. Uh, maybe tongues were wagging and people's already been talking about it. Well, when they show up here, we're going to tell them. You know, <laughs> we, we have all these thoughts in our head, but the, none of it's in, in the Scripture. Uh, it may have just simply been easier for them to stay there in Bethlehem. Maybe an opportunity come up. Maybe somebody had a job for Joseph since he's a carpenter to work there for a while. I don't know why they're in the house or whose house it is, but they're there. Um, I saw on the news just this week that <laughs> the most sought-after Christmas gifts for kids is, number one is called Sesame Street Elmo Slide Plush. And apparently... Uh, Tickle Me Elmo is really expanded now. Uh, he can talk in different languages, and uh, you can press his hand. He can dance and talk and all kinds of things. That's the number one gift for Christmas for, for young children. The second one is called a Bitsy Interactive Toy Digital Pet and Case. I don't know what that is, but uh, we don't have little kids anymore. Our kids are grown and uh, adults. But I can remember back when... Uh, they were uh, just little children, and we were stressing out over if we were going to be able to get the gift they want. And, you know, there, there was always that one gift that was the most popular at Christmas time everybody wanted. And the, you'd go to the Kmart, and it, there, the shelves were empty. What are we going to do? Let's go to Sears. Let's go to service merchandise. Let's go here. We didn't have Amazon Prime back then. You know, now you just get on the computer, and it's there in two days. Uh, but I can imagine the stress that some of the parents have had this year trying to make sure they can get a Sesame Street MO slide plush for their little uh, child. 
And so it is the most stressful time of the year. And imagine the stress Mary and Joseph were under, thinking about all the things back home, thinking about, you know, what are we going to do? We're poor. They were very poor. When they go there to the temple to give the sacrifice, they had to give the meager sacrifice, the poorest of poor sacrifice, because they didn't have anything. Um, Notice it says they saw the young child. It didn't say they saw the baby. It said the young child, and he's no longer a baby. He's possibly almost two years old by this time. Verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. All right, now this is talking about the the wise men have been told by God not to return back the way they came. Now, notice how God steps in and intervenes to make sure history is exactly his story. Do you notice what he's done? If God had not stepped in, and things had gone as planned, these wise men would have went straight back to Herod and say, we know where he's at, here's the house number, you know, if you want to go worship him, there's where you need to go. <laughs> but God intervened. And so uh, he has a plan. God always has a plan. His plan is always laid out, and he knows it. We don't always know God's plan. In fact, we rarely ever know God's plan. What God wants for us is to be obedient to him, and when he does tell us what to do, to step out in obedience and do that. And that's when we're on our map, our journey, if you want to call it that, to where he would have us. That's his will. Where he guides us by our obedience, we step out in his will. Now, he knows where we're going, but we don't. We all want a map, though. Don't you want a map? Would you like to say, God, please send me the map of my will, or of your will for my life so that I can follow it and know exactly which door to open and which way to go. That'd be wonderful. But that don't require obedience. You've already got it all laid out for you. No, God wants us to rely upon him for everything, especially when it comes to our lives and his will. To just say, God, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Open the door for me. Too many people are going around kicking doors down that God never intended them to open. Uh, we need to wait on the Lord, for, first of all, but you need to be in his word to find out what his will is and pray about it. God will lead you if you'll be obedient to him. He'll lead you in those directions. I remember before I was pastoring, and uh, of course, when I was called to preach, I told God he'd made a huge mistake. There is simply no way I can preach. Lord, you know me. I can't even look people in the eye. I'm so backwards, and uh, that's what everybody called me growing up, backwards. There's Byron, he's backwards, you know, he's not going to talk to you. So I, you know, I just held my head down when I met anybody, and I still do that. Uh, but, and I told God all that, and he just kept prompting me and putting on my heart. And I knew, and I was felt like I was going to bust inside if I didn't get up and start preaching his word. And I thought, there's absolutely no way I can do that. And I just uh, finally said, God, if that's what you want, I, I'll do it. Well, I didn't know he was working with other people. To help me. So my pastor, Jamie Porterfield, was my pastor at the time. I never said a word to him about preaching or, or anything like that. He come up to me and said, when are you going to get up and, and, and preach your message? I said, what are you talking about? He said, he said I think that uh, and the Lord been dealing with you on it. And I said, well, maybe. And uh, I got up and I preached that first time. And boy, I butchered that sermon. 
And, uh, you know, everybody told me it was the most wonderful thing they'd ever heard in their life. They all lied. Everybody lied at church that day. Um, some woman, you know, going out the door, just tell me that I was, as, you know, like Boyd Bingham told me that. And I was just, boy, I got all big headed and all that stuff. But <laughs> listen, uh, God just wants us to step out and do things, whether it's comfortable for us, whether we think we can, whether we think we've got that talent or whatever it is. He just wants us to be obedient and do it. And you're going to find that as, if you're walking in God's will, you'll be the hap, happiest person there ever was. And so God has a plan. He's not making it up as we go. He wasn't doing that with, with Joseph and Mary either. He didn't say, uh-oh, now what am I going to do? Herod's causing problems. I've got to do it. No, God already knew. In fact, God preordained everything that's going on. He is sovereign. God is over all. Everything goes through him. He's not surprised about a thing. And so he knows this. And we could go as far to say that God is the one that put Caesar Augustus on the throne so that he could fulfill his divine purpose. You know, a lot of times we get all upset and mad because of whoever becomes president or governor or, or mayor or something. We get all angry and we think, you know, this world's rotten and all this stuff. They didn't vote for who I wanted to vote for and all that. I'm telling you that it's God is the one that puts people uh, in their positions. And you're going to find every time Christians are stressed out about things of the world, they start becoming closer to God. And so God does things like that. Uh, God, you know, he had Caesar Augustus on that throne. He could declare a worldwide census and force Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem so that he'd be born there, just as the prophet said he'd be born. And we think, you know, sometimes we don't understand what goes on. But Daniel chapter 2 said, God changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So God's not, not surprised or put off. Now look, look at verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child, there it is again, the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. You see, again, God in his providence, just as the prophets had already prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born, uh, that he would, uh, out of Egypt have I called my son. And so God ordained all this. His divine hand of intervention was upon his son Jesus. So he instructs the family, flee into Egypt. That is a rare case for God to do. Usually he told them he didn't force people to go to Egypt. In fact, they, they wanted them out of Egypt. But here, they're going into Egypt for their own safety. And this is not some, you know, nonchalant move, you know. Well, Joseph, you know, when you get things wrapped up here, just uh, you and Mary and J Jesus, you know, if you can make your way to Egypt, and that'd be, that'd be great. No, it was, it was a command for them to go. Uh, run, run for your lives because Herod is seeking to kill Jesus. Now, you think your Christmas is stressful. Those parents that can't find their, uh, 
uh, Elmo slide plush doll. They think it's stressful. <laughs> think again. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. And so now Herod reveals his true colors. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He slaughters hundreds if not thousands of children two years and under. So there we see it possibly Jesus could have been two years old by this time. Or it could have been two years has passed since he told the, the wise men to go. It's, it's a little hard to grasp that, uh, that meaning of that. But regardless, it, some time has passed. And uh, he is not just angry. But the Bible says he's exceeding wrath. Now, for a, a Grinch like this guy to be exceeding wrath, you better believe heads are going to roll. And that's exactly what happened. Little bitty heads, two years and under, rolled there in, the, in that place. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. So the tyrant Herod dies not much longer after he had pronounced a sentence upon all the children there to be slaughtered. Uh, one Jewish historian, he says this, I, I like this. He said that a burning fever seized him with an intolerable itching over his whole body. He was visited with grievous wounds with which putrefied and bred worms so that his whole body became so horridly offensive that none could approach him. And such was his unbounded rage as to be the dread of everyone. Finding death drawing nigh, he attempted to destroy himself but was prevented at length, he expired in agonies. Couldn't happen to a better guy, could it? So Herod's dead, and the Lord, of course, tells Joseph about this. He says it's, it's safe. Verse 22. But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelled in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So even with Herod the Great gone, uh, great gone his evil tyrant of a son, Archelaus, was now king, and he was just as bloodthirsty as his father. Uh, they say that he had 3,000 people slain in the temple one time during Passover. And so... Um, Look, uh, the place where they were going to go was still not safe. And so God directed Joseph to take the family up north to Galilee. Instead, where another one of Herod's sons was ruling, Herod Antipas. However, he was a mild-mannered king and uh, loved by a lot of people. Now, now most of you, no doubt, are, are like us. You're excited about tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is Christmas. 
our family, Lord willing, is going to all come over to the house. We're going to sit around. We always make a traditional big Christmas breakfast. Biscuits and gravy and sausage and fried taters and all that good stuff. When we sit and eat, that's, that's why I weigh 558 pounds. But, uh, so we, we'll sit around and eat and bust and then we're going to open presents. And, uh, we've got them all over the house and we only, our house is tiny. It's only 1200 square feet altogether. And, uh, our living room ain't no bigger than, I don't know, it's a little bitty room. And, uh, our tree is, takes up half of it. And, uh, but we're so excited to be there with our family and open gifts. And every time we do though, we always read the Christmas story and, uh, from Luke chapter two. And we'll, we'll read over that uh, Christmas story and remember the reason that we're gathered around there and why the Lord blessed us enough that we're able to do that. Um, I pray that that's what you're dreaming of eating, laughing, having a great time, uh, with your family tomorrow. Or you could be one that's super stressed out. Maybe God, um, or not God, but maybe you wasn't able to, you know, get what you wanted. Uh, maybe your uh, electric bill is due and, and you're not sure how you're going to pay it. Or maybe the gift that you got somebody isn't, you're worried that they're not going to like it. And so you're more stressed out than you are anything else. Um, listen, sometimes we allow life to stress us out. And we need to remember that, that God cares for us. And while we may not get certain things taken away from us, like we're still going to have to pay the light bill when it comes due. Our water bill, we're going to have to pay it or they'll cut the water off. And while we may still have to face such things like that, God is there for us and he's there to comfort us, to give us hope. What we need to do is put our trust, our faith, and our obedience in him. And even if the time is stressful, even if it's hard, uh, God loves us. In fact, he loves us so much, he sent his only begotten son to die for you on the cross, to shed every drop of his blood uh, so that you could have life and life eternal. And so I'm wondering today, as, as Brother Scott comes and gets an invitation song, um, you know, a lot of people are celebrating Christmas this year that are not saved. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior but yet they're going to celebrate a, a holiday that's that's called Christmas, which means Christ Mass, and uh, it's all about Him. And so I'm wondering why the lost world is going to celebrate a, a holy day that uh, doesn't belong to Him. So as we pray together, if you'll please stand, I want to pray. If you need help today for any reason, whether it be for salvation, backslidden condition, just need to pray, whatever it is, you come to the altar as we're praying. Heavenly Father, God, we're coming to you today. Lord, thanking you so much for the message. Lord, I'm praying for those today that may be completely stressed out. God, I don't know the reason you do. Lord, whether it be for finances or physical conditions are going through or um, spiritual God maybe there's one here today that's fighting against salvation Lord I don't know everybody's heart Lord those listening online I don't know their heart God you do and I'm praying today Lord that you'll just through the Holy Spirit convict them Lord show them the need for a Savior God that you loved them so much you sent Jesus here to die for them Lord I'm praying for each one God, there's one here today that's backslidden, needs to get close to you again. May this be the day that that happens. 
Help us, Father, as we sing this invitation song. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.